Hey everyone, before we get into this week's Idle Thumbs, I just want to let you know that Danielle Riando's new podcast, Idle Weekend, uh, co-hosted by her and Rob Zachney of Three Moves Ahead and Esports Today, is live with their first episode. So if you want to check that out this week, you should go to idleweekend.net. It's coming out every Friday, so yeah. Good end to that ad. (laughs) 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 You gonna leave that in? (laughs) (laughs) It's December 16th, 2015. This is Idle Thumbs 241. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Nick Brecken. And I'm Jake Rodkin. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. Early morning podcast going on. Another right one now. of those. Yep. It's best. Yep. yep. The good ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so this is a loosely defined topic, I guess, but a thing that seems to have just inadvertently coalesced over the last week is that there have been a bunch of games announced from like series that have gone untouched for a long time um or people where it is just notable for them to be announcing a game right now so like last night Hideo Kojima he I guess is just taking the same studio name he had at Konami and just making a game for Sony with it which is crazy amazing to me that they're that he's that he's allowed to do that was yeah. Ko- well, was was Kojima Productions or Kojima? What I'm bad at pronouncing a name. Was <laughs> no, one of them? The first one was Kojima, and this now one's Kojima. It's Kojima. <laughs> <laughs> was was please, that actually please. a Konami-owned brand? Because I know a lot, like. Um, Oh, like was did he weirdly independently own that? Right, and then oh. it was consulting in through or something like that. Like but he was, um, he was man, an the guy like the, though for like, sure, like right? the guy who was uh, the creative director and creator of a bunch of the Smash Brothers games, whose name I cannot remember now. Mizuguchi, is that? No, uh, uh, Sakurai, Masahiro Sakurai. Yeah. yeah, Mizuguchi announced a new Res game, which is a, another one of the things yes. I wanted to talk but, about. Um, Smash Brothers guy, I don't know if he was at like he. I think worked for HAL Laboratories, which was a yeah. studio entirely then, owned by Nintendo. He but left, then he split off, started his own sort of Sora. consulting company. Yeah, to make yeah. yeah, and then that label then became involved in Smash Brothers, even though he, like it seemed like he was maybe well, trying think, to go and do something else. Then yeah, he immediately then he, got yeah, pulled back yeah, into Smash Brothers. But I think that he now technically works for his own company with his own label that is still basically just a first-party Nintendo right. thing. But, but in the case of, of Kojima, I don't really think he ever... I, I feel like he was just... He's basically... He was an employee of Konami for like 30 years. I wish I mean, we actually knew the details of this because maybe maybe the notion of Kojima Productions never existed as a business entity before, and it was just a hilarious okay. label. That is no. actually always <clears throat> been that, my assumption. Yeah, my assumption. And now he's like, been, "Well, I guess we never trademark yeah. this. I guess it was never a real company." Boom! Like I did it. <laughs> my assumption was always just that he just worked there as an employee. There was the team that he led, mm. and at a certain point, when he became, when it was when he was be, like a notable enough person that he had the clout to do it, he basically said, "I want this team." To use the imprint, essentially, Kojima Productions. So it's Ke- like if Sonic Team somehow 
jumped out of Sega and started a company called Sonic Team, but this time it was a real company <laughs> and not just a particular group inside yeah. of their design group. Exactly, mm. yeah. yeah. Uh, they make audio games. They're making Res, <laughs> new Res. <laughs> oh, man. God, that'd be so confusing. Sonic Team presents. <laughs> yeah. Presents weird VR suit. So, okay, there's Kojima doing new stuff, new Res. What are the other... Okay, List there's, items and there's Psychonauts <clears throat> 2 and Psychonauts VR thing. There's System Shock 3 right. was just confirmed after being teased for about a week. Um, uh, System Shock 3 is also being developed by Other Side Enter- Entertainment, which is also making Underworld Ascension, which is effectively Ultima Underworld 3. That was not brand newly announced, but is like I because of the System Shock 3 stuff, I've been reading a bunch about that. Okay, so my question for you, because you brought this topic up, I guess, is yeah. what differentiates this like rash of these from like post broken age Kickstarter, like Brian Fargo's mm. bringing back wasteland and mm, every adventure yeah. game developer is bringing back like cyan, the guys who made right, mist brought right. a new game back new, like a uh, uh, star citizen. Like it feels like we had a I rash guess, of these a, a yeah. couple of years ago that have just kind of been percolating and succeeding or failing since like 2012. I guess there's no, I, I mean, I guess in terms of the impetus for creation, there's not, a radical difference, but in this case, they seem to all basically be funded through completely different means. You know, they're all just kind of, it's not like the, the thing you described was like a Kickstarter wave. Right. Whereas this is more, I guess it's just coincidence that all this stuff. It might also be like when you, when you mentioned it, I thought of, I thought that maybe this is potentially sort of the second wave after the Kickstarter thing happened is now like, Oh, it turns out that these things have the potential to be successful. Just doing straight up, reach your hand into the back, you know, like that games history grab bag and pull creators and games out of them and and put money into them. And also, well, oh, also here, sorry, another thing that we never really talked about on the podcast was that System Shock, the original System Shock is getting remade also. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, Which, you know, know yeah, they're, yes, it looks actually really cool. It's the exact Mm -hmm. thing that I've, I always talk about in terms of, Making a game of that mm. type and era in the modern, in the modern era, which is um, obviously running it at high resolution, you know, modern on modern computers, but targeting a sort of like late '90s, early, uh, maybe more like early 2000s level of sort of graphical complexity. How to keep your game with the systemic intensity of System Shock without? Paying for like the crazy IK hand and like yeah. the, the order or whatever that game was, wasn't that the oh the, yeah yeah yeah, yeah whatever. Mm-hmm. where just everything was just yeah. as expensive as it could possibly be to the yeah. point that it, it, it gassed itself basically yeah yeah um this rash of sequels and creators coming back even though I'm I I find myself excited about a bunch of them um it also reminds me it feels like games have always like the games industry the, the the heavy commercial games industry actually fuck that all games have been about sequels forever right like every game <laughs> yeah. like every game scale has cuz it's really easy to sequelize games but this 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 type of sequelization of sort of bringing something back feels mm-hmm. very much like what we're seeing in movies right now also like uh, they they sort of like digging like, into the nostalgia bin right mm-hmm. it's yeah. like which ips do we have from from the vault that we can leverage in a you mm-hmm. know like is the audience finally ready for us to bring back this well it's like what happened i think when fallout 3 the, the you know fallout mm, 3 was first yeah. announced which is which is like okay there's this core of people who remember this and play this but then there's this way bigger group of people who are ambiently aware of the sort of prestige sheen that kind of glances over the 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 collective memory 
of this series in the gaming consciousness, and we're going to tap into that. And right. so all the people who think of themselves as like sort of highly aware video game players um, who never, ne- who maybe never played this particular game, but just take it on faith. They're that, excited like, about oh, the Fallout prestige. Two are like, the, the, yeah, the, the sort of classic, the, amazing, the yeah. prestige and reputation Fallout of Fallout <laughs> coming back. Do you think that that um, reaching even farther back to sort of bringing back from the dead old IPs? Do you think that that like we talked about Grand Theft Auto One and Two a few weeks back about yeah. the sort of like lasciviousness of them or like the sort of like they feel like you you found uh, like some contraband like, yeah you thing? feel like yeah. yeah like you found the forbidden fruit of gaming in gta 1 and 2 and his reputation was never as like it, it had a very different reputation as fallout and definitely a smaller one but do you think that there was any banking on that in the like in early press response when they said we're making a grand theft auto 3 or do you think that it was just Man, completely I like i can't remember i don't <laughs> think i was aware like at the time that Grand Theft Auto 3 came out, which was, what, 2001? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I was tapped into the gaming press. Certainly not the console gaming My press. My vague memories of how that was covered were that the 3 was superfluous and that people were basically saying, oh, yeah, this, this used to be games, but... The thing that's interesting about this is it's a real Basically, world where like, you can do everything yeah. and oh, all, yeah. the, all the all the GTA like, like, Duke, like, Duke, yeah. like Duke Nukem 3D, another game that we did <laughs> oh, not mention when we were talking about games with forgotten earlier titles. But Duke Nukem 3D is maybe the most extreme example mm. of that in that almost nobody who is currently playing games has played Duke Nukem 1 and 2. Right. Yeah. Although I did because I had them on shareware. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I played. I, I was really into the Apogee and id side-scrolling yeah. games. Yeah. And the epic ones. To at tangent least. off right. of that for okay. half a second, did you see that? Um, man, it was—I don't know if it was Romero, but it was some. Oh yeah, uh, Romero. Yeah, the Super Mario Brothers three. Yeah, so id Software made the Commander Keen games, uh, which were like EGA CGA side scrollers for PC in the early nineties, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they were really notable at the time because it was a PC game that had smooth scrolling and movement and jumping, like you'd see on a Nintendo game, <clears throat> which was. It seems really like a no-brainer now, but I think it was a it was a big deal because it was really hard to get movement yeah. like that out of out of <clears throat> PC hardware, yeah. which was not built the way that a game console was at the time for doing graphics like that. It was like Carmack's first big notable graphics task. Um, but what Romero revealed the ability for Mario to go backwards, famously known as Carmack's reverse. <laughs> Fuck! Oh my god, that is not true. That is like the most insanely horrible knot of a reference that. Like, <laughs> You're welcome, JP. Just look L- up L- Carmack's Reverse. I don't know what it is, but you can I think find it's it on Wikipedia, for, probably. Uh, some real-time shadow hack of some kind, yeah, I think. But, man, I can't remember what Carmack's Reverse is because we're all terrible. We know how to make a joke about Carmack's Reverse <laughs> without knowing what it is. Um, sorry, the thing I was getting to is that the, the sort of pipeline that powered Commander Keen apparently started off as a pitch id Software made before they were named id Software to Nintendo yeah. for bringing Mario Brothers 3 mm-hmm. or a Mario game to the PC they and worked on it while they were at a, um, that the company that they were uh, like prior soft to it. Software. Yeah, soft disk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Carmack was just like doing it in his spare time. Yeah, and he, yeah. there's a YouTube video that John Romero posted that's like a shitty Mario mm. clone, but it's impressive as all hell because it's running on a computer that should have no business doing like really nice looking, like it's smooth you know, scrolling and all. Yeah, that. like Mario's jump physics aren't as good, <clears> and there's some weird stuff in it that very much looks like Commander Keen. But at the same time, it's crazy that they just cold pitched Nintendo on, oh, we can make Mario on computers, and they said, uh, no. I mean, you, I guess you technically can, but you will not. <laughs> so they instead made Commander Keen, um, and 
it, it's just so crazy to me that id software was effectively born yeah. as oh yeah the early let's be a mario porthouse yeah yeah the, the early history of computer game studios is incredible it's so different than how early console games developed which even in their earliest days were much more um like traditional companies one of the companies in the u.s that was more of a um traditional business i suppose was looking glass studios which was founded by paul nurath and he is actually uh the one of the founders or maybe the founder of other side entertainment which is making system shock 3 and ultima ascendant or i'm sorry underworld ascendant which is definitely intended to be a follow-up to the ultima underworld games and looking into this because of all these game announcements it's crazy how many people they're rounding up at other side who date back to that era. Um, Paul Nurath, uh, obviously. And then also uh, Tim Stelmach, who worked on Ultima Underworld 1 and 2, and I think was the lead on Underworld 2, and then also worked on Thief 1 and 2, and I believe was the lead on Thief 2, um, and, and uh, several other Looking Glass games. Um, also, he was the project lead of Doom 3. Also, at uh, other side, are a couple people I worked with at Irrational, in, including um, Rob Waters, who is a concept artist who did the like original box art for System Shock 1, which is a really crazy, weird, interesting piece of artwork. And he's an amazing painter uh, and an, an amazing, amazing concept artist and was hugely instrumental in, all, in most of the incredibly iconic imagery of the original Bioshock, but also worked on uh, System Shock and all those games at Looking Glass. I think a lot of the people... <clears throat> who were part of that whole um, world of looking glass, sort of immersive sim games of the nineties and early two thousands sort of did a lot of their really important work before like an individual video game designer could kind of become a, like a known personality on the internet Mm -hmm. the way that that happens now. And so I think a lot of those guys just kind of kept being sort Mm -hmm. of just line level working game developers and the resurgence of all of this sort of nostalgia leveraging has allowed a lot of them to go back to the kinds of games that they cut their teeth on and that were really important, but you know, we're always kind of cult hits commercially. So it's been interesting reading up about this stuff. Yeah. I want to play all these games. Yeah, I know that's yeah. (laughs) yeah, The thing that that I was going to ask is, do you think like, do you think that this is good or bad, or do you have any read on it like that? But I also don't know if it matters because I just am- in a way it doesn't surprise me that these sorts of people are the ones that have been able to sort of stick around in the industry because they're the like if you they're nuts and bolts. Yeah, designers. I mean, like yeah. I, I worked with a lot of these types at uh, Bethesda, Bethesda yeah. and Arcane, and and like these are the guys that just like after the you know doors shut at six o'clock, they're still inside working until ten because they want to you know figure out some system. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. just like that kind of game developer that just like lives and breathes all that stuff. So it feels as like, opposed to screaming at three in the morning because you have to like place 4,000 rocks for your like, <laughs> right for your, yeah. like your content heavy scenario or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And because they have to actually be able to like very tangibly solve a design problem. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about this today. Like, um, a lot of these people came up through very traditional means. So Tim Stelmach, I believe started as QA on the original Ultima underworld in like 1991 or whenever that was. And just, straight up worked his way up but so i've never worked with that guy although i know a lot of people who have i have worked with a lot of people who have worked with him 
And my impression is just that that strain of game designer is just a really practical nuts and bolts, like figure shit out game designer in a way that isn't necessarily what um, modern game design at a sort of current high level AAA scale is. Right. It, can, it can be. It depends on the game you're working on. I mean, when I hear about resurgences like this happening, my concern is that this is this could be the game equivalent of like at its best uh, a forgotten pop musician playing Vegas or at its worst <laughs> right. playing playing the yeah. county fair circuit. It could be noodling, you know, like right. Like this, yeah. this, this could just be. Oh, I'm I'm booked at the at the Luxor for a year, or yeah, you'll see me mm-hmm. at the Sonoma County Fair. Yeah. But um, even at that at that worst, I'm ha- if that turns out to be the case for some of these projects, I'm happy that these people are working at all in the industry right now and at its best hopefully well, hopefully it is not that like. at all yeah. right hopefully it is just like something like we get some really great passionate projects out of this yeah yeah for sure um man and then there's stuff that is unrelated like unrelated to that entirely like res like the new res which yes. includes mm-hmm. crazy <laughs> like what is that thing does uh, anyone know what that thing is i was i, I was at playstation experience um and I did not see the res demo because it was a closed door demo. I had the opportunity to go see it, but I ended up passing to let some of their folks oh. go. Um, it was it was me or one of the designers of Super Hypercube, and I was like, "You have to go in this room and wear this," um, because Super Hypercube yeah. feels like a spiritual not successor, yeah. but like heavily influenced yeah. by Res. But it's a post Res game. So sure. Res is um. Res was announced for PlayStation VR or some new. I guess Res is a remake, not a. It's called. It's now called Res Infinity or something. Yeah, there's like a new. And it seems like it's. It seems like it's somewhere between a remake and a sequel, but it's for PlayStation VR, um, which seems like an amazing use of a VR headset for me because I love VR stuff that is abstract and not trying to be about. Yeah, I agree. Like now you're actually inside of you know basically like. Star Star Wars or Skyrim or something. Yeah, Yeah, you're not. It's it's, instead of trying to present an alternate reality, it's presenting a thing that absolutely cannot exist in reality. It it is actually presenting an alternate reality. Yes, (laughs) this is a different interpretation of what reality, reality virtual reality, could be. Reality could be fucking weird laser cubes and lasers. Um, But the thing that made the the PSX demo incredibly notable is: Do you remember? when Res came out, you could get the Res like trance vibrator, basically, which oh, is yes. a little, a little yeah, plug yeah, yeah. you plug into your system, and it was just a little thing that would go v- 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 and pulse yeah. with the game. Yeah, um, definitely the the lewdest video game <laughs> yeah. accessory. Okay, ever but really. here's the thing though: the demo that they had at PSX had a vibrating bodysuit that you put on. <laughs> it, the photo. Okay, so it, it's like a skin tight suit that just has these these round pods at various parts of your body i don't think there was a crotch uh, one but like they're all over the place there will be there will be so i mean some you know you could just sort of handy tips on how to transform the like elbow of your <laughs> but your red suit the, the photos that came out of this of the psx garment. demo i don't even know exactly how it worked I, I i i don't know if sean did the demo or not but i know that cable sasser of panic uh software who's one of the, uh, the company funding uh, our game firewatch wore the suit and he put a photo of himself up on twitter and it looked like 90s virtual reality yeah, to the this... max because it was like he had the playstation vr headset on and it the looks like what it looks like in murder she wrote when you yes, cut yeah, when jessica fletcher like, is in vr yeah. because the, the playstation vr headset um 
it it has head tracking, but it uses a camera to do it. So the the headset itself just emits blue light out of all of its corners in this geometric <laughs> oh pattern. So it looks like um, it, it just looks, looks like you're in res. Yes, the person playing res. But is then, also and then he's in wearing res. this full black like skin tight bodysuit that has all these sort of red and black outlined circles all over it, and he's just sort of gesturing with two move controllers towards the camera with his headset on, looking kind of confused. And it just looks like it looks like the. The world, so the Res VR game presents an alternate reality, but also it brings that reality to our reality by making you strap on glowing headsets and like controllers and wearing a black, like neon red and black bodysuit, apparently. So you, you, you. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. yeah I, that's amazing. Um, I have, I, they were unclear on whether or not that bodysuit is actually going to be a thing that ships, I think, mm. or if it is just like a thing that is brought around or if they can come up with a more, Consumery version of it because who the fuck is gonna buy a skin tight vibrating bodysuit to play res um, <laughs> some people <laughs> but not a, like that's a manufacturing pipeline that is probably hard to justify if you're yeah. sony um, that's i mean that seems like the kind of thing that you maybe sell like a hundred of yeah or something i mean i, I guess this know. is coming from the company and that never manu- passed down <laughs> there's no resale market for yeah. these skin tight suits <laughs> washing, washing instructions this is not a GameStop money don't, maker. you can't yeah <laughs> bespoke res bodysuit tailored individually whole cloth send uh, inseam measurements right before purchasing though i guess sony is the company that um for the anniversary of the PlayStation 1, made a version of the PlayStation 3 that basically uses all mm. of the coloration and decoration oh, of... I never saw that. Oh, it was, it it was, was really be- cool. beautiful. It's like the best-looking PS4 is the PS1 anniversary PS4, where it's in, that, it's in like huh. a really polished light gray, and then they have all the original colors on the, face bu- or on the buttons and controller and stuff. It's really nice, and everyone wanted one, and they made like none of them. They were so fucking hard to get. Even people at Sony were like, yeah, I don't have one. No one here has one. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. So maybe they're going to make a res bodysuit and only oh make God, a few hundred of them. that looks really nice. Yeah. I just found it. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. That looks more like a future object than any of the recent consoles. I know. Have. They put that mm-hmm. out and everyone said, God, why doesn't the PS4 just look like this? Mm-hmm. And the answer is probably because it's not dark black. It doesn't look like stereo equipment that will blend into your media center so people yeah. won't buy it. But yeah. I want one. Um, so I can then – if they also made a gray PlayStation Man. VR headset. Oh, my God. Uh, and a bodysuit to match, <laughs> you could just yeah. you could live the 90s dream to the max. The 20th anniversary PS4 starts at $1,200 on Amazon. Jeez. Yeah. It's the Ollie Moss screen print of video yeah. game hardware. I was just <laughs> actually thinking that. <laughs> The Ollie Moss Star Wars poster. Yeah. Of PlayStations. <laughs> Man. Um, all right. Should take a break? Sure. I thought you guys had another thing to talk about. Oh, well, you oh. played Crusader Kings, too. So. I did. Yeah, let's, can... talk, let's talk Crusader Kings, too, okay. before we go. Before yeah. we go. All right. Uh, yeah, I dove back into Crusader Kings, too, after, I guess... Like a two-year hiatus. It's been about that. Give, maybe. give a recap of what this game. Is. Um, so, Crusader Kings Two is a um, it's a paradox grand strategy um, game. You can, uh, you know, it's it's if you've seen anything like Total War, et cetera, et cetera. These are like games with large maps, and um, you know, uh, if you've played um, Hearts of Iron or, or any of these things, they're all sort of similar. Europa Universalis, Universalis yeah, yeah. Um, akin to these things. Uh, you 
now, God, so I. <laughs> but this game is like fun. Feels fundamentally different to me than those games. Yeah, because of all of the dynasty stuff. This is and true. How like per, personally personal scale? Yeah, it, it diverges from those in that it it is less about going to war and more about managing your yeah dynastic future. I guess is the way you yeah. would say. Like it's it's not really about. Um, uh, sort of plotting your next takeover. It's about kind of I mean, figuring out how to marry. Is, but that takeover is like via crazy yeah. arranged marriages and assassination plots. Like and faked documents like, and yeah, just yeah. like bizarre so machinations. So yeah. So, um, yeah. So Chris and I played a, a ton of this game for a little bit and we streamed it and you can actually find it on, I guess, the YouTube, uh, the Idle Thumbs YouTube page probably still. Um, yeah. If you search for Idle Thumbs Crusader Kings or Idle Thumbs Ragnar, you'll probably <laughs> find it. Yeah. I think there's a playlist of it on the on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash idle videos, which also, by the way, has annotated YouTube versions of every single idle thumbs mm. episode. Uh, thanks to our community member, Johnny Driggs, who does that every single week, uh, which is amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, um, as just as, as like an example of what is good about Crusader Kings 2, this is a, a tweet from, I think, last year that sort of made the rounds again recently. Uh, it, the, the tweet says um, the Crusader Kings two Steam forums are amazing out oh, of context, yeah. and then the image is just a scre- it's just a straight screenshot of the Steam forums uh, for Crusader Kings two with just thread headlines, just line after line. And here here are some of the thread headlines: <laughs> sexual. <laughs> My elderly male king was impregnated by his gay lover. Sexual intercourse at an older age is dangerous. So I executed the Pope and nothing much happened. How do you kidnap someone? How to assassinate a person if no one joins you? Destroying Catholic Church. (laughs) My family is dying. Crusading for Jerusalem against the Jews? Question mark. (laughs) I hate the Pope! Exclamation point. (laughs) The one true faith is now unstoppable. Need help with dumb son-in-law. <laughs> a child with unknown father, parentheses, my bastards, question mark. <laughs> so that's that's why this game is good. Yeah. So what yeah, was your much. recent experience, Nick? Uh, well, so my... Uh... So, so when we played, I believe we 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 downloaded the vanilla Crusader Kings two. Um, yeah, I don't I think, think we had added any so. of the add-ons. Uh, so I got the Crusader Kings 2 Complete Edition, which I had no idea how much DLC is available for this game. Oh, yeah. It is a list Those as long as your arm. always have stuff like that. So without really having the time to even vet, like, which, like, pack is good or anything, I just turned them all on. And so that's the setup for the story. So I'm playing the game, and I decide that I'm going to just choose something that is, this, you know, like a, a, a sort of starting scenario that feels fairly safe. Um, and so I picked William the Conqueror in 1066 or thereabouts. And um, William the Conqueror was uh, the Norman king, uh, the, the first king of England, basically. And he uh, was the, the Duke of Normandy and came and invaded England and took it over. And so that's the sort of the starting point. You are the king of England and uh, everything is fine. And it's like the easiest possible, well, one of the easiest possible scenarios. Mm-hmm. So I started playing and I, I kind of like felt even though it's been Read a while. Think piece why being born as William the first is easy mode. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you know, we played enough that I kind of felt like this is going to be like riding a bike. I'll just kind of go for it. I'll pick an easy scenario and maybe just see how far because we played as like Ireland. Yeah, we and, played, it, which yeah. was hard. No, but you know, this is a hard Scrabble. No, like, no, I mean, it was introduced to us. The reason we played that is because people recommended it as like you know, good like not too well intense. because nobody's really picking a fight with you. Yeah, but. Oh, it was hard to, in the like, sense that if you actually want to do anything, yeah, okay, yeah. you're not going to do anything. You're just you're you're Irish. you're just Ireland. You're just you're just yeah. Um, so I was like, well, I guess I'll just you know pick England and I'll just take it easy for the first few years and just see how it goes, and then maybe you know sort of pick some minor aspirations. Maybe I'll go after Scotland, whatever. So I'm playing, and the first thing that happens to me, maybe two years in, is that I get a message saying that. I guess my daughter had married into the French line of succession or something. And then suddenly I was just also the king of France. (laughs) Yes. Just happened out of nowhere, which I don't think actually, it didn't happen in history. So this wasn't just something like, it just happened. Like it was just some kind of tumbled down. Yeah. Things just sort of tumbled down to the point. And suddenly I've just got like this huge, like, like the, you know, the way the map adjusts, like it just, it just dynamically like creates a real looking, like a a realistically um, labeled world map. And so now the word England is just stretching across like the Roman empire, you know, just this huge landmass. And I, I, it's not like riding a bike. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and so I'm just like, man, so you, right. you had, you had uh, the Crusader Kings two version of like King Ralph happen to you. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so rather than, rather than try and take it easy, I kind of felt like, well, I guess I'll just sort of Donald Trump my way into this and just start throwing elbows just around and just, yeah, just like, well, I'm, no, I'm the King of France now. I'll just like find yeah. out who's next in the line and, and, you know, mm-hmm. so. And murder them. Yeah. So uh, the Duke of Anjou uh, was – so you can actually um, look under one of the tabs and see um, – because, you know, the way these things work in in, uh, in history is that um, even though you are currently the king of France, unless you have somebody lined up in succession, there are other claimants to that, to yeah. that position. And so um, my son was not actually lined up to be the king of France. Mm. It was this Duke of Anjou guy. And so I just started so buying. He's got to go. Yeah. Well, I just started paying off everybody else in France, other than that guy. Just started <laughs> handing out like yeah. all the French money that I had just received right. to basically every lord in France, and then so that they at, would support you, or right? Your son. If there was anything to happen, and then I looked at that guy, and he had a son. And so I immediately <laughs> plotted to assassinate his son. Yeah, I don't back. really know why I plotted to assassinate his son and not him. <laughs> like his son was six years old. It's more vindictive. Easier. You're gonna, you're gonna, yeah. It's a baby. Yeah, he's basically a baby, even though he's a human who can walk and talk and stuff. So during the plotting of that, that uh, the Duke of Anjou somehow, I guess, probably just realized that I was, you know, plotting to kill his son. Mm-hmm. I think he may have just noticed. And then um, just dynamically decided to revolt and split off and go independent and 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 try and claim the throne. And so, so the way this all like trickled down is that now I have this enormous French army that is basically occupying Anjou while there's a plot to assassinate the Duke of Anjou's son going on. And so there was this weird moment where all this like coalesced. I was sieging the Duke's castle while an assassin snuck in and killed his six-year-old son. And then, like, the next day, 
just I like destroyed his castle and took everything over and like crushed the rebellion and, and everything was fine. And I was like, well, that was amazing. Like I, I yeah. killed, I wiped just out that whole line. <laughs> I installed my son Robert on the, to be the you know successor of the French throne. I was like, well, this is this is this is this is actually easy. I'm William the Conqueror. Whatever. Two days later, everything like just took a turn. The Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, just, you know, was like, you can't kill six-year-olds, declared war. <laughs> the Holy Roman Empire is is just, basically in every phase of the game, is just this massive, yeah. just force. They're like, the you know, the most powerful faction. And then, uh, <laughs> while, like the day after that happened, um, the uh, the guy that I had actually been trying to install uh, to, to, to line up the succession with, you know, my, my son... He um, uh, had a had a brother, and that brother was, I guess, getting just angry that I had spent all this time, like you know, just basically <laughs> right. like lining up his older brother just for all this power. Some faction supporting him for the line of succession. I like that it's like split. he has a brother instead of I have another son. No, because that, I think all really this... explains the <laughs> the dynamic. Going, all these people that are he just might a... be less than happy about. <laughs> My son has some weird guy. I guess it's his brother. <laughs> I don't know who he is. <laughs> I'm too busy. I'm the king of England and France, Chris. <laughs> and I have time for this. So his this faction supporting him splits off and starts a civil war and uh within England to to basically uh remove me yeah. from the throne. So he's trying to depose his father now. And uh maybe a day after that happens this weird Christmas music starts playing, which <laughs> it's like joy to the world, but they've redone it with like Crusader Kings lyrics. It's bizarre. What? I don't, it's what? Like, so, so suddenly I'm like, should have oh, weird. That DLC oh, weird. This is like, yeah, this is, this is an interesting uh, joy to the world. Okay. Wait, what D- burn England to the ground? <laughs> joy to the world. What is that? What? Like just, there are all these like bizarre, like, you know, conquering lyrics that they've thrown in. And then amidst this just insane civil war, Holy Roman, you know, invasion, 60,000 Aztecs just land on the shores of England and just start, you know, just burning everything. Like Aztecs? Aztecs. <laughs> like just like literally 60,000 Aztec, tr- like the horde, like just Aztec hordes just have just come from South America and, and land... Just everything just crumbled. Like, I was removed from power in, like, a day. And (laughs) I looked, and yeah, there's this weird Aztec DLC that just, I guess, is not very popular with the community. And uh, they they, they basically outsourced one of their DLCs to some other studio. Weird. Uh, And it's completely historically inaccurate. And they did it, I guess, specifically to balance the fact that the Mongolian um, DLC creates a weird thing where if you're on the west side of the map because the Mongols are coming from the east then you're just sort of you know at, a, at an advantage and so they balance that by then just saying what if the Aztecs made a billion ships what? and just sailed across the ocean and burned England to the ground it's so like there's just this weird like yeah this is like Australia very... where they kept introdu- they had to like they introduced an invasive species to kill a native yeah, basically. species and then they just spent a century yeah. introducing additional invasive species <laughs> mm-hmm. to kill all the other ones that they so killed. So the end game of this is that Crusader Kings has an alien invasion mod that comes <laughs> in. Basically, yeah. Um. <laughs> That's an amazing analogy, Chris. Thanks. Yeah, it is. 
so anyway, that that was kind of the end of that. <laughs> so not, so that all I didn't. Ended. Yeah, I'm just gonna have to like remove all the DLC because I don't know what any of it does, but it just seems to destroy you. What was uh, the Christmas music? What did that? I don't know. <laughs> it was really weird. Like a lot of stuff's been added to this game. It's the, it's the Aztec <laughs> War chant. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> we wish you a merry Christmas. Parentheses Aztec traditional. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you want to take a break? Yeah. Video game. This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by Sherry's Berries, provider of absolutely massive strawberries dipped in chocolate and other good things. They're huge. They're really, really big and really good. Um, And though Sherry's Berries has been a sponsor of this podcast before, this is a unique deal that is being offered this time. So if you go to berries.com, that's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com, click the microphone in the top right-hand corner and type in thumbs, you not only get the traditional deal that we offer, which is a 40% savings, so uh, freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99, there is today only, literally just today, with the thumbs code, uh, you can double the berries for only $5. Mm. Double the berries for $5 today only. Usually with our code, you double the berries for $10. Get on this today. We are getting into dangerous holiday territory here in terms of you're, you're running out of time to act on your, your gift and self-pleasing needs. Uh, <laughs> strawberries will, will, in chocolate will do it for you. Um, if you go to berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com, click that microphone, type in thumbs, today only, double those berries for $5. They come in a, in a nice sort of like refrigerated little package. Uh, we've gotten them numerous times. You should double them. Berries.com, click that microphone, type in thumbs. Nice. Video games. Hey. 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 Yeah, so we should probably talk about frog fractions. We should catch up on frog fractions because... Yeah, um, I think that's true. Because there was an article... Okay, well, actually, first... Before, first, frog, first. Frog, frog fractions 2 information has come to light. Um, <laughs> and has been coming to light for a while, but I think we should back up and explain what frog fractions is because we talked yeah. about it in an episode maybe a year ago. Or more. Or more. Um, frog fractions is a video game. It, it, uh, <laughs> I mean, the game came out more than two years ago, so that's probably when we talked about yeah. it. Um, Frog Fractions was a game made by a company called Twinbeard, I think. Yeah. Um, Which is basically a guy, Jim Crawford. It's Jim Crawford. It's one guy um, who actually records podcasts in this very room. In this room. So we'll get get back to that, though, um, because podcasts play into Frog Fractions, too, in a strange way. Yeah. Um, But Frog Fractions was a game which presented as an edutainment game where you're a frog uh, in a pond who sort of, like, you eat bugs with your tongue just to solve math problems, right? Yeah. Basically. More or less. Yeah. But then the game devolves into complete madness where you disappear down below the lake and end up inside of, like, weird, like, political intrigue and science fiction things where you end up on Mars and it becomes a text adventure. And you go through, like, a dozen different game genres. Yeah, it it becomes a text adventure for part of it. It just, like... Frog Fractions, the the less said about it, the better, other than to know that it is insane and a really fun experience to play. Um, Jim Crawford announced that Frog Fractions 2 would exist, and he did a Kickstarter for it. Um, 
but it was sort of stated, but probably even more than it was stated, it was just implied and assumed by everyone that however Frog Fractions 2 was revealed, it would be some sort of insane and cryptic means. Um, well, because even in the Kickstarter, he was like, I will tell you what game Frog Fractions 2 is, like, at an... Un- like, it was, yeah. It was yeah. like, there will be a game that will end up being Frog Fractions 2, essentially. Yes. So, um, that was a while ago now, uh, and Justin McElroy at Polygon wrote an article that has caught up on many of, but not all of the events that have happened in, yeah. in like what is sort of... More than a year of... Yeah, there's... It's Frog Fractions two, 2's like announcement slash reveal has turned into what is kind of an ARG, but also seems like it's just a complete string of just madness, uh, just like absurdist nonsense that mm-hmm. kind of loosely strings together into an alternate alternate reality game. But I I, I want to run through a highlight reel of some of the things that have been revealed, just because it gets increasingly absurd and and really awesome actually so the the very first kickstarter video that they put out um it included a reference to just a single html file which if you then went to the twin beard website and typed in blah 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 dot html from that video it it somehow led you to twinbread.com which is a website that was about bread um but inside of that page there's all sorts of insane things including uh there's a there's a an, an, an rot13.html file which leads to a a GBA ROM that presents to be Castlevania, and then turns into I guess a Rickroll that contains a bunch of other secret information in it. Um, there's also a, a page on the Twin Bread website that is instructions on how to make bread, but the text on that page is valid entry into the Frog Fractions One text adventure segment. <laughs> and when you type that stuff in, it leads you to a, an, a Barack Obama beard shaving simulator game that you can download and play, which ends on a fake Twitter page, which has fake tweets including GPS coordinates, which led to the UC Berkeley campus and specified a date and time, and fans went there and met Jim Crawford, who was then abducted in real life by time travelers for possessing bug pornography. He <laughs> dropped a paper bag when he was abducted, which con- and contained floppy disks, and those floppy disks had bug pornography on them. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, and those images had EXIF data, which included weird, like, rhyming couplets that didn't rhyme, and all. Uh, also, apparently the word butts is a recurring theme. And all, uh, <laughs> butts seems to come up a lot. Uh, <laughs> Uh, God, what, there's, there's, what is the, the craziest shit? I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember where it came from. Um, there's, God, there's all sorts of insane, insane stuff. Like there is, uh, a .arg compressed file that was found and people were unable to decode it and it was password protected and it took like six months or something for people to decode it and then it it ended up that the code was the words 0451 spelled out (laughs) (laughs) which uh was also a code mentioned in the kickstarter video but as a number yeah and also like someone someone wrote going back to all those other games we're talking about yeah is all is a reference to fahrenheit 451 that has basically been in every immersive sim computer game the first combo lock-in and and every looking glass heritage game apparently that was figured out because someone actually wrote a password brute forcing tool that is set there crunching on the archive file 
for hours oh or days God. or however long until it finally was like, oh, it's zero, Probably four, five, days. one weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it took six months for people to break this. Um, and then the unlocked video is a live action recreation of the original Frog Fractions, which people don't know what it means yet. <laughs> um, also, Jim Crawford started recording a podcast called Train Hot Dog, which I remember is just, when he started releasing this. Yes. This is just his train ride home. He'll record a podcast. But that podcast now also... Uh, contains insane things like it. One episode was brought to you by time-travel.club, which is another website that contains all sorts of stuff. The audio for this podcast contains those like slow scan images, or like if you view them, like spectrograph. Yeah, you know, or if you yeah. view them on a spectrograph, there's there's URLs encoded in the audio waveform of these podcast episodes. Jesus. Also, they've started releasing Mario Maker levels, which contain frog fractions <laughs> oh, clues. Oh like, God. um, it's fucking crazy. It's really good. Just like yeah. you can. Not all of the threads connect, and Justin McElroy suggests in this article probably correctly that not all of them will because this seems like it's maybe – it's not – constructed on the fly. It's partly but mm. also partly long – Yeah, there, there, are some, there are some long plays interspersed with just we're fucking around and having a good mm-hmm. time with like well, making this weird – One of the – didn't one of the things um, kind of decode to being an acronym for like f- Frog 1.5 yeah, or something well, like suggesting that – this like mm. multi-year spanning crazy thing is in fact the bridge. Like is yes, the <laughs> the login page for timetravel.club was activated soon after the 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 waveforms, uh, the spectrograph waveforms revealed uh, Gadsby slash password one two three, which was a, a username and password embedded in the audio of this of this podcast. And if you log into timetravel.club. Uh, you would get a message that uh, there's a message from a commanding officer of the time travel club, I guess, named Dwayne. But if you favorite that page, you find that its title <laughs> is Future Resistance Operation Garrison 1.50 or Frog 1.5. Yeah. Uh, so presumably this ARG is also just Frog Fractions 1.5, which means it's just uncovering infinite absurdist mania that mm-hmm. maybe has yeah. some sort of through line at the end. Yeah. Um, and. It, the the article on Polygon sums a lot of it up really well. Uh, it's called "How to Shave Obama Behind the Baffling New Year Nearly Two Year Long Quest to Find Frog Fractions 2. And in it, uh, Justin McElroy also links to the people who have been going crazy on this all of their forums. And also, there's like summary videos that these guys have posted containing a lot of the story of this. And also, all of the artifacts have been archived and put into video format really well. So if you want to just really entertain yourself for a couple hours, mm-hmm. but don't maybe want to d- dive into the yeah. like mm. s- psychotic miasma that is the that is frog fractions 1.5 you can just read that article and uh, and this use it as like, a good um, jumping point it's like eve online or something where i'm never going to play that game but i'm so glad that there are people who do yes. because it results in amazing things for me to read yeah mm. yeah it's it's uh it's a great thing to exist yeah also, yeah, if you haven't played Frog Fractions, you should go and play that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Frog Fractions is good. Yep, it is. Um, Nick, I know you were playing more Don't Starve Together. Do you have any more thoughts or stories from that? or, or I don't really have any stories. Um, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm playing with uh, my girlfriend Janelle. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing that's happened recently is that I'm finding it's actually a really good game to play as a couple. Like, I think it that's actually, cool. like, you know... In our relationship, we try to, you know, we're living together and we're trying to 
constantly like find divisions of labor for like the, the chores and things and like this game i'm finding is actually really helpful for learning how to do that in a really rational and like cooperative way because <laughs> yeah. like the first Couple's few counseling. yeah the first few times we played uh did not go well as they do in don't starve and you right. know blame was placed in several different occasions but now we've kind of like like every every like world seed we get a little bit further and get a little bit better at kind of like dividing up like I'm the farm guy. And it's weird too because our our personalities are actually like coming out in the way that we're starting to play. Like mm-hmm. like Janelle's much more independent and so she's just constantly out in the wilderness just like doing whatever right and i've just like made peace with the fact that i'm just going to be the guy like building the base right. constantly and just <laughs> yeah, like sure. wondering when she's coming home for dinner you know yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. weird like how it actually because a lot Reflects of the systems are just about yeah. like eating and yeah. like doing chores and stuff <laughs> that like yeah that's really good a lot of that just gets reflected in the gameplay yeah um but we were actually doing really well now so and and you know we're, we're just doing really well in, in general chris so uh. <laughs> well good for you <laughs> anyway that's yeah no that's no cool. great stories i no, mean no, that's good it's, it's, it's not really a game that generates crazy stories very often just more like you, you know a general sense of of uh of a, of a like like a long form like oh i remember that like playthrough the the 50 the 50 day playthrough where mm-hmm. like it just was crazy because we didn't have x you know like it's not like just weird things happen it's sort of predictable in that way but it's not yeah um yeah anyway it's good though. It's fun. I like it. That's cool. Well, you want to read yeah. read reader mail from reader readers? Mail. Okay, let's do it. It's time for reader mail. It's the part where we read things that you send us in. If you have, <laughs> that's a good description. Yeah. If you would like to send us an email, you can write us at questions at idlethumbs.net, and we will read it and sometimes talk about it on the podcast. All right, take that. <laughs> um, okay, so. Our our first email this week comes from uh, Icebreaker, who's a very very long time Idle Forums member, going all the way back to the pre podcast version of our website. And he writes Nick Breedon origin story. <laughs> oh shit! I yeah. saw this. Yeah. So <laughs> apparently there there may be multiple. I think there might be multiple Nick Breedon origin stories, or we were confusing <laughs> our Nick Breedon origin story. I attributed the Nick Breedon error to. Um, our, our old boss at Track News, Steve Gibson, or possibly me, right. typing your name as Nick Breedon when, when we introduced you to the site. But I think what I might have been remembering was me, for like a month after we hired you, persistently mistyping your name as Nick Breton. Oh, yeah. I did that yeah. for like weeks. I remember that. Because yeah. I just kept, it was like a word that seemed more real to me than Brecken. Right, yeah. Um, and I, I yeah, so sorry about that. Like a decade later. It's fine. Um, so there's an alternate Nick Breedon origin story that is more based in verifiable documentation uh, sent to us uh, by Icebreaker, who remembers this somehow. And um, this is a this is amazing to me. There is there was a uh, this is March 31st, 2009, and he links the Shack News like community chat post that documents it. Um this this Shack News poster is writing in 2009. So I'm in class, not paying attention as usual, when I go to msnbc.com, one of my daily news sites, and on the front page they have a picture, an article about the thing that will ever that will forever change gaming, the on live thing. Anyway, I was skimming when I saw this. Quote: 
Nick Breedon of the enthusiast site Shack News wrote <laughs> that he site. saw, quote, blocky pixels, unquote, <laughs> playing, quote, Bioshock, unquote, <laughs> over OnLive and proclaimed it, quote, unquestionably inferior to playing from a disc, unquote. <laughs> I'm glad it was that quote. Those who commented on blog posting ranged from cautiously optimistic to nastily disdainful, end quote. MSNBC, March 31st, 2009. Nick Breedon. <laughs> God. They apparently uh, yeah. that day fixed the story and corrected your name. No, I remember that. Unfortunately, the, uh, the screenshot lives on. Or the, the pull quote. The pull quote lives on, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's really weird. I had completely forgotten about that. It is true, Nick, that playing over a streaming service uh, 10 years ago would have been vastly inferior to playing on a disc. It is true. I guess people didn't know that, though, when OnLive first this came was, out. This the, was only six years oh, ago. Oh, they were claiming oh, that, that it was imperceptible. Yeah, that's true. Right. So, but, yeah. Vastly inferior. Vastly. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> that was Nick Breedon, though. Yeah. They I erroneously, know, Sammy, what can you say they erroneously edited the article he was an to, enthusiast. To, to attribute it to you, but we all know <laughs> we all know that it was Nick Breedon. Still waiting for that correction, MSNBC. Yeah. I mean, actually, as I've learned uh, looking at Ancestry.com, the Brecken name has been corrupted many times. Oh, I'm like, sure. It's pretty common in history to, yeah. to screw up my name. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not the first time, sure. nor will it be. There's a lot of Nick Breedons out oh, there, yeah, let's just say yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, well, yeah, there might, there's probably a whole family of them that I don't know about. Well, there might be, be there, there may well be, because Hugh O'Brien uh, sends us an email with <laughs> including a photograph of a bottle of champagne, and it is. Breed on champagne <laughs> brute. And here is it just says straight up breed on. Wow. It says breed on on it. Yep. True champagne, I guess, not sparkling wine. Legit champagne. That's from back when uh, this this branch the of, the, of the Breedons were from right. when yeah. Nick was yeah. the king of France. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> later they later renamed themselves the Breedons after he murdered a six year old child. <laughs> <laughs> to disassociate themselves. Uh, yeah. They moved out of their chateau, out of Chateau Bridon. <laughs> yep. Right. Humble winemakers. Um, let's see. Humble vine handlers. <laughs> they became humble vine handlers. <laughs> In that Crusader Kings vine handler DLC. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> um, Austin Studebaker writes, Nick Bridon's murdering grandpa is in Dwarf Fortress. Hi, Thumbs. I just listened to episode 240, <laughs> and Nick's story of his cave-dwelling murderous ancestor immediately made me think of multiple phenomena in Dwarf Fortress. In Dwarf Fortress, people are cursed with various forms of lycanthropy at world generation. The beauty is that the animal they are a weird creature of is randomly f pulled from a pool, so you can find weird lizards, weird donkeys, weird badgers, etc. in adventure mode. Once you build up enough renown by doing procedurally generated quests, you can be asked by the lord of a region to kill a weird creature nearby. You recruit a number of companions by building your renown. When you arrive at the cave of the creature, you'll find various corpses of nearby villagers throughout. So, to some, a guy goes out, murders people, and brings back the corpses to a cave. A king, parentheses lord, and 500 men, approximately five companions, hunt down this man and kill him. Somewhat similarly, minotaurs exist within the game and live in labyrinths. When they detect your character, they call out insults, perhaps like the German man, and tell you they will grind your bones, which is a bit like an actual skill in the game, bone crafting. I'm rambling now, but I love talking about the beauty of the absolute piece of art that is one man's precious brainchild, Dwarf Fortress. Thanks, Austin Studebaker, Uber on the forums. I've never played Dwarf Fortress. I haven't, I haven't either, and I always feel like I should. It's yeah. crazy that neither of you two people I have played Dwarf Fortress. I'm just probably intimidated played by Dwarf. it. That's like yeah, the, the I, truth. That's, that's, but I really yeah. should play it. You, you should get um, JP Leberton to give you 
a Dwarf Fortress, like Dwarf Fortress 101, mm. first two hours. Yeah. Because he, he is or was really, mm-hmm. really into that game. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Dan, Dan Thiel writes, hi, Thumbs. Last week you were talking about Star Wars Base Command, the game in Battlefront's companion app and on the web where I play it because I'm a sad Windows Phone user. And you were speculating it's probably a clone of something. Well, it is. When I first played Base Command, the first thing that struck me was how similar it is to the board game Castle Panic. Castle Panic mm. is a co-op game where you're trying to defend a castle located in the center of the board. The play area consists of a series of concentric circles divided up into sections pizza style. Enemies spawn on the outer ring of the board and move closer ring by ring at the end of each turn. You play cards from your hand to attack these enemies. These cards are mainly soldiers capable of attacking specific parts of the board with a few buffs and attacks mixed in. When the enemies reach the center, they take out the walls that protect your castle. They move in and destroy your towers. This is almost exactly what happens in Star Wars Base Command, but the Star Wars game adds a collectible card game element. In addition to your units, X-Wings, Rebel Soldiers, you have, etc., you have a deck of cards that gives you various boosts and special attacks. And as Nick mentioned, welcome back, Nick, you can build custom decks to help you beat tougher levels. With a greater variety of cards and stats, this actually makes the free Star Wars game a bit deeper than the board game. Plus, by earning credits for Battlefront, you get to synergize content across platforms in the EA digital ecosystem. When you play Castle Panic, all you get is the pleasure of your friend's company. (laughs) Anyway, Castle Panic is a fun, simple game, and it's a great way to introduce people to co-op tabletop. It has a few expansions, and there are zombie and munchkin varieties that appear a bit more complex than the original game. Base Command for all its cloniness is also pretty enjoyable in its own right, synergy or no. And I suppose it's possible both games are clones of some other earlier game. I think someone else also pointed out a board game that this is apparently mm. very simple. Not surprised. Uh, maybe there's a whole genre of concentric circle castle defense games with its own lingo, like inner ring tension extender and such. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, keep potting the great cast or however that goes. I don't know how to end email. Dan Teal at what where Dan. The face you made when you said inner ring yeah. tension extender <laughs> was like, like eh? mm. <laughs> and, Yeah. DLC for your res suit. <laughs> Weird, this weird Christmas song about murdering Englishmen started playing. <laughs> when I installed when I my, my inner, inner ring, ring tension extender. extender. <laughs> um, all right. So this is very relevant to the sort of our first topic on this week's podcast. Um, uh, Pateras writes, hi, I've realized lately that one of the things I dislike about many modern games is, is clinical perfection. Many AAA titles feel soulless to me because of a lack of rough edges. When I think about my favorite games, I realize many of them are pretty janky and rife with design decisions that run counter to what is understood as good design. Think of games like Morrowind with its misdirection, painfully slow movement speed, and broken magic and combat systems, or, here it comes, Far Cry 2, with frustrating and and unwelcoming systems and how much more interesting those games are than many of their successors. Or how the first two Half-Life games don't feel like they've had the soul playtested out of them, unlike many Valve games that came after. Or how poor translation, confusion, and odd controls add to the atmosphere of games like Stalker and Pathologic. Am I alone in feeling this way, or do you, do you think that overpolishing a game can harm its character? And do you think there's even the slightest chance that mainstream gaming might move away from the clinical, playtested-to-hell development process and learn to appreciate what a bit of jankiness and rough edges can add to a game? Thanks for the years of insight and entertainment, Pateras. I'm sorry I'm pronouncing your name wrong, certainly. The first thing that this actually reminds me of is the article that Zach McClendon wrote for Wired recently about Fallout 4 and about how uh, sort of about Bethesda's tendency to maybe do what some people would call biting off too many, too many things, too many crazy systems and allowing your game to get too shaggy at the edges. Like these sort of there's a, a type of complaint about bethesda games that is just like oh, buggy bethesda many buggy, so many devs. bugs why isn't yeah. everything perfect and his argument in this article uh and wired 
which was called, it was a great article. It was a great article. It was called Fallout Four is full of bugs, but fixing them could ruin it. Um, it that's basically his premise is. This game has all of the things that people find amazing about it because the designers at Bethesda are okay with basically stitching up the edges of the game just enough that things literally don't spill out of the world and onto the kill plane. But beyond that, like it's okay for you to press out into the fringes of mm-hmm. the world because into the allowable like reaches of its systems. Yeah, yeah, yes, of, yeah, of all of all elements of this game because. Without that willingness, you're not going to get some of the most amazing emergent things that come out of a, out of Fallout or out of a Bethesda game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the only solutions to stitching up, like to really making that feel perfectly cohesive, are probably ones that are going to end up actually cut like excising some of those weird right. tendrils from the game mm-hmm. entirely in the name of making it a perfect right. like a hermetically sealed his, experience. His argument, his argument, as I would as I would put it, because I think it was misunderstood by a lot of by a lot of people who who took issue with it. His argument is not so much that you can't fix any one bug. Like, it's not that you can't fix any of those bugs and they have to all be there forever or the game's going to be bad. It's that the attitude that is – like, the development priority that is required in order to successfully close out all or most of those bugs is just inevitably also going to have the collateral damage of sending off a lot of the uh, kind of interesting design outliers that – provide the kinds of stories that people actually love about those games. Like the, it is that you, you kind of have to pick one. Like there, you can, there's a certain degree to which you can just like arbitrarily spot fix bugs that come up w- w- with, because of the, the, um, uh, openness of these systems. But once your priority is, is make all that stuff bulletproof, that will just inevitably bring along with it. Um, consequences that shrink the possibility space of the game. Yeah, because the, the only reality, like of, the only reality of, of bulletproofing everything in a thing this complicated is make there be fewer things that you have to bulletproof. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a really, and I, oh, I would be not, I'm not as, I mean, we're here, we're talking about like the biggest selling game of recent, mem- biggest selling sort of mainstream game of recent memory, right? So like, I don't, I, um, I totally get what the what the reader is talking about, but I don't necessarily agree that 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 is just gone from mainstream gaming because here we are talking about Fallout 4. Um, and, you know, whether... A lot, of, a lot of pieces of Metal Gear Solid Five also feel like they had this. Yeah, Although it eventually that it seems like that fell off a cliff to its detriment where it just sort of they stopped caring to, to too much of a degree. But... Um, yeah, no, yeah. but when you're in the meat of that game, it is absolutely just like mm-hmm. hugely... Um, it is capacious in its, in its possibility, which in a good way. Um, and then obviously there's an entire string... You know, I mentioned Minecraft and all those survival games, like that is a huge strain of extremely popular modern game design right now. And that, that is all about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, and I, and you know, that, that relates to what I was saying earlier about kind of the graphical fidelity thing, right? Like that's very, it's very related. Like you, if you want a game where everything in it is property based and component based and systemic and, um, all interlocks in a, in a harmonious and, um, not special cased way, there's just like a limit to how how much graphical fidelity sort of seamlessness you're gonna get, and that's the one of the reasons I think it's cool that uh, we're seeing games like the System Shock One remake and the new System Shock Three and all, uh, Underworld Ascendant and stuff like that because they clearly just 
one, those I, I just suspect those games have budgets that wouldn't allow them to chase kind of the uncharted branch of of polish. Um, but also, like that's just the their designers have the right priorities for those series. I think. Yep. So I, I think that there's not really like you're not at all. I don't think in 2015 you're at a loss for material if that's the kind of game you like. You know, I mean, I think there's plenty. There's stuff to play for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's see. Um, 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 um. I should have picked the next. The next. We uh, could just call it and here. talk about talk about. Uh, the Idle Weekend podcast. Oh, yeah. oh, that's true. We should talk about the Idle Weekend podcast. Yes. Um, we have been promising a new podcast from uh, Danielle Riendo, formerly of this podcast, and Rob Zachney, still currently of Three Moves Ahead and Esports Today, um, both on the Idle Thumbs Network. We've been promising a new podcast from them for months now. Yeah, I know a lot of people have been really bummed that Danielle left Idle Thumbs and has not been on a podcast, even though yeah, we said... Yeah, we've been bummed about it. <laughs> yeah, we've been really bummed. But... We acted as though it was going to be a smooth transition. I was <laughs> just like, oh, and she's, as soon as she's off this one, put a new Danielle cast right in your ears. Yeah, well, nope. it now exists. It's called Idle Weekend. The first episode came out uh, on uh, Friday of last week. It's... Ideally, there will be another one this Friday. Yes, Um it's called Idle Weekend. It's a podcast that's, um, I guess, meant to be sort of a cap on the week of gaming. Danielle and Rob talk about what they've been playing and about some events like in the news. But also, like last week's episode got into like interesting personal stuff about their play habits and like games. You like the the segment that struck me the most, and also I've seen a lot of people talk about is. Uh, the games that you seek out when you're feeling down or depressed or have had like a really bad week. And I thought the stuff they talked about in that segment, like was, uh, that was great. It was interesting and good. Yeah. Um, it's but, not, a, it's not a downer of a podcast. It's though. not. No. I mean like they, the, their first, their first segment in last week was about their response to this year's, uh, game awards. Jeff Keeley's game awards show that started off as the spike VGAs and mm-hmm. where it's sort of, because it had a bunch of controversy this year about representation on the judging board and uh, how that played out in the show itself. That segment was also really good. Um, and then they also, in addition to games, they um, also, their intention, and this was this is true in the first episode certainly, is to just talk about other kind of culture and pop culture stuff that they're into recently. So last week they talked about Jessica Jones, the Netflix show. Um, and Fargo Season 2. Fargo Season 2. So, yeah, it's... it's uh, Mainly games, I would say about two-thirds games, one-third kind of just general stuff that's in the air uh, in entertainment. And um, they have a really good rapport. Um, we all knew each other back when when we all lived in Boston. Rob still lives in Boston. Uh, oh, you, Rob, and Danielle. Yes, um, which, is, which is how they all sort of became – that's why we're all connected on the Idle Thumbs Network now is because um, we all knew each other back then. So um, – it's great. You can find it at idleweekend.net. Um, you can subscribe to it on, on iTunes as well. Yeah, obviously. it's on iTunes. It's you can obviously any podcast catcher you have will find it if you search for Idle Weekend. And um, we, it's people who've listened to it like it a lot so far. We're building an audience from scratch with that. We're hoping, obviously, that talking about it on this podcast will give it a nice boost. But if you do, we, we always say this about this podcast, and it continues to be true. Um, if you like this podcast or if you like out a weekend when you listen to it, please tell your friend that is tell your anyone you, you think might also like it because that is 
the way that we grow these podcasts. And we're really hoping that we can, that Idle Weekend can be something that will um, stick around and will just get better and better and uh, build its own audience that hopefully has crossover with this one, but maybe also can grow a new audience. That would be awesome for Robin Danielle. So idleweekend.net, starting strong, I think. All right. Well, this episode of Idle Thumbs was brought to you by MeUndies. Always enjoyable to hear you say that, Chris. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, MeUndies provides high-quality underwear and uh, other kind of basic garments, and they have uh, a weekly or a monthly sort of unique design. That's a res suit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, this this month is a is a really great sort of holiday pattern that I have ordered myself already. Um, I am really looking forward to my holiday underwear. You're gonna wear that snowflake Nordic sweater yes. uh, underpants mm, design. I, de- I definitely am. Every and day during the, the twelve days of Christmas, you you I, wear the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I imagine if that's what you're gonna do. You get twelve pairs. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I. So if you go to meundies.com/thumbs. You can get 20% off your first order and, as always, free shipping in the United States and Canada. So, uh, slash thumbs, get your, get your Christmas boxers. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's it yep. for our podcast yep. this week. Bye. Oh, Thanks. oh you can, sorry. You can find us on Twitter at, at Idle Thumbs and you can also follow Idle Weekend, new, new Twitter account mm. at Idle Weekend nice. on Twitter. Yes. Please listen to that podcast and thanks for joining us. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.